Okay, um, so I love what's, what's happening in, just in our midst, in our, in our church, and one of the things that we really value is that everybody gets to play. Everybody is part of the game. It's not only me or Luke and the band, people up here, but everybody can hear from God and everybody can bring something of significant um, in order for us to advance the kingdom. So I'm just going to call up Veruska. Um, she had a scary dream, and usually so people don't want to share scary dreams with people because they think you're too immature to handle scary dreams, but this is a scary dream. And um, also a dream that, that I feel that's significant. And then I just want to give it to you. You need to pray about it. But there also there's some stuff that God's already revealed about this dream. Great. Thank you. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to explain what happened. Uh, so, yeah, so I was dreaming that I was in, um, in a setting like this where we were sitting on chairs and we were listening to someone, to a speaker in front. Um, and uh, the person, I just refer to that person as the, the speaker. So um, the speaker just said, we were listening, and the, the speaker said that there's a snake um, under the, under, somewhere under the chairs, like as we were sitting here, there's just a snake. And he called it a cobra. And, um, and then I, uh, everyone got up and we were looking for the snake. And then um, I looked and I saw it. And I saw that it's not a snake, it's a puff adder. And then I told them that it's a puff adder. And, um, and then the facilitator asked um, for someone to just help him get the snake out of the room. And, um, and then I volunteered and I was like, okay, here's my shoulder. Like I had my backpack on my back. So I was like, yeah, just put him on me and then we can get it out. And, um, and then, like, with its fangs, it got on me. But it didn't bite me. So it was good um, in, in terms of that. But, yeah, so then I got it out. And um, next thing I saw, I was in my room. And it was not on me anymore. It was on the, the window area. And, um, but then I, I started to feel a bit overwhelmed by it. And I just grabbed it. And then I took it out and I threw it over the wall. And then I walked away. But... Um, but it was like, it was, it's almost like a scene out of the movies where the thing just like looks at you showing its fangs and its teeth, you know, like, I'll get you. <laughs> so that's basically how it ended. Yeah. Okay, great. So the reason why I wanted to share this is, again, like also Luke used the phrase, it's a teaching moment. So a lot of, who of you have had a nightmare before? Okay. <laughs> And, and some, somehow we don't know how to deal with this. Because one of the, the ways that the enemy gets at us is he wants us to become fearful. And he, and he uses nightmares quite often. And also dreams like what Veruska, Veruska had. So she, was, she saw the snake and she actually did a good thing and she volunteered to get the snake out of this place. So she was very courageous in this dream but still... When you wake up after a dream like this, you often feel like anxious, have I done something wrong, what is this snake representing? Um, obviously in the Bible we know about Adam and Eve that got deceived by the snake, so often a snake represents deception, so is there deception in the church? What is happening? Have you have had those dreams and you're like, oh man, I, I don't know what to do with this? Okay, so I'm just going to give you an example from the Bible. So there's a, there's a snake, and now... Take the dream, you're like, okay, God, what are you saying in the word about snakes? And we know Adam and Eve got deceived by the snake. 
But then, if you read in, in Genesis 3 verse 15, it says that the offspring of the woman, so God is speaking to, this, to the snake that deceived Adam and Eve, and he says the offspring of the, of the woman, which is, if we, if we follow the thread, it is Jesus will crush the snake's head. So, whenever somebody shares a dream like this, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. There's somebody courageous enough to take, take the snake out of a setting, whether it's our church or some other ministry, the deception, take it out of, out of this setting, and eventually you want to crush the sex, the snake's head. Because the enemy, he's trying to, to evoke fear, but then God uses that same dream to reveal his plans so that we, in Jesus, can crush his head. So with Ruska's dream, I'm just going to pray a quick prayer, and we're going to crush the enemy, the snake's head. And it might be that some of you are struggling with deception. It might be that there's a snake in your life, whether it's lust, whether it's sin, whether it's money, whether it's guilt, whatever it might be. And we're just going to trust that God crushes it now. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that you speak to your prophets, that you speak to your people, that we can hear your voice, and that we're just crushing this, the head of the snake right now with the feet of Jesus Christ. And we say there's no room for deception in this church. There's no room for deception in any church in, in this city. And we just take authority over the snake in the name of Jesus. Amen. Great. Cool. So now I want you to turn your Bibles to Zechariah 4. It's another vision. It's a dream. I'm going to share on, on this a little later. So just get your Bibles open. It's the Old Testament. One of the minor prophets. Zechariah is called. Because we, we have a theme this month, the, the next two months, and it's called Revival and Reformation. So I'm going to quickly go through a definition because we want to get into the word. So revival is, it's a visitation of God that revives individuals and communities in bringing them back to their original purpose and design in Jesus Christ. So we believe that if God visits us, then something gets transformed in, 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 in who we are. Like we become more like Jesus and it revives the image of God in us. So that's why in church what we did this, this evening looks like, hey, press in. But he is actually saying, hey, you know what? God is right here and he's waiting for us to, to come to him. He wants to visit us. He wants to, to transform our lives. And he wants to, to use us as a church to bring revival first to this church and obviously the rest of of the community. So that's, that's the first definition we looked at last week. And the second one is reformation. So this is when a visitation of God impacts society to the extent that it reforms every sphere of life to reflect the kingdom of God. So we not only want to experience God's presence, we not only want to meet with Him in this setting, in a worship session, we want this experience that we had, this encounter, this visitation of God to actually continue into our workplace, into our schools, into every aspect of our life, into our family. 
Like we literally, we want to walk out of here and as people meet with us, they must experience that same experience that we had in this worship setting because we are, in a way, we are interceding for them by pushing in into the Spirit. Because the world needs to change. Who of you know that? The world needs to change. And there's so many of us in the church, we are waiting for a Savior, whether it's a political party or a better president or Steve Hoffmeyer or, or somebody to come and save us. But it's not going to happen. What we need is just a bigger revelation of Jesus Christ. We want Him to visit us, and then we want to be transformed to such a way that every area that we touch in society also gets transformed. So that is revival and reformation. And like I started last week, I just, I'm just going to start sharing just stories where this has already happened, because revival has already changed the world in the centuries um, gone by. So we're going to follow up on last week's story. It's still in Wooster. So there was a revival that broke out in a farm, on a farm close to Wooster, amongst the colored people. And then now we're going to follow the story as it goes into town. It's exciting. The revival is coming to Wooster. I come from Rosenville. It's close to Wooster. They used to say Wooster, Rosenville. Okay. After the revival broke, so it's 1860s. After the revival broke out on the farms outside Wooster, it spread to a youth meeting in town. The lead, leader, Jesse de Vries, it's not Philip de Vries over there, gives us the account. On a su- Sunday evening, they were gathered in a little hall, some 60 young people. So young people gathered in a little hall. I was the leader of the meeting, which commenced with a hymn and a lesson from God's word, after which I engaged in prayer. After three or four others, as was customary, given out a verse of him and offered prayer, a colored girl of about 15 years of age in the service of a farmer from Hexrefree rose at the back of the hall and asked if she might propose a hymn. At first I hesitate, hesitated, not knowing what the meeting would think, but better thoughts prevailed and I replied, yes. She gave out a hymn verse and prayed in moving tones. While she was praying, we heard as it were a sound in the distance which came nearer and nearer until the whole seemed to be shaken. And with one or two exceptions, the whole meeting began to pray, the majority in an audible voice, but some in whispers. Nevertheless, the noise made by the concourse was deafening. A feeling which I cannot describe took possession of me. Even now, 43 years after these occurrences, the events that never to be forgotten night passed before my mind's eye like a soul-stirring panorama. I feel again as I then felt and cannot refrain from pushing my chair backwards and thanking the Lord fervently for His mighty deeds. And then Andrew Murray came into this youth meeting. So it just, it's chaos. And he's trying to shut this meeting down. Because everybody's just praying out loud. Everybody's on the ground just praying. Because the Spirit has visited this youth meeting. After that, the prayer meetings were held every evening. At the commencement, there was generally a great silence, but after the second or the third prayer, the whole hall was moved as before, and everyone fell to, fell to praying. Sometimes the gathering continued to three in the morning. Even then, many wished to remain longer or returning homewards when singing through the streets. So imagine 
Holy Spirit coming in here tonight and going only away at 3 o'clock tomorrow morning. We must prepare for, prepare for that. Okay? There's a teacher over there, so if you know Taniqua, he'll sign you out for tomorrow. Then they moved the meetings to a larger hall. It was at this larger hall that Andrew Murray was confronted by a stranger after he tried to quiet another disorderly revival meeting. The priest tells us that, that the stranger was watching the proceedings from the entrance door, approached Murray, touched him gently, and said in English, I think you are the minister of this congregation. Be careful what you do, for it is the Spirit of God that is, that is at work. I've just come from America, and this is precisely what I witnessed there. And if you follow, if you follow this revival, it spread up spread to the whole of the Western Cape and even to parts of the Free State, Northern Cape and Eastern Cape. And so many of these little towns were reformed. So it was revival, but also reformation. There was a, there was a college that they trained missionaries and also teachers in Wellington that was started. And also the University of Stellenbosch came out of this revival. So it wasn't only a meeting where the Holy Spirit pitched up, there was also transformation that happened in the society, and that is what we long for. And I know so many of you sitting here, you carry ideas that will actually transform society, but you don't have the guts to pursue those ideas, and it will only happen once you have that encounter with the Lord, and the Lord speaks to you and says, hey, you know what? I've given you the resources. Just go for it. And that's what we're waiting for. Although it's... Not, not waiting for in a passive sense, but waiting on the Lord for in an active sense. God, I'm pressing in. I'm pressing into the Spirit because I want everything that you have for me so that the world can know that you're a good God. Amen. Okay, so that's the story. We're going to read another story, Zechariah 4. So I want you to turn to people behind you. So groups of four, organize yourself in groups of four or five. And then you read through the whole of Zechariah 4. Okay, we love bringing our Bibles to church. If we want revival, we want reformation, we want to do it according to the Word of God. There's some Bibles here in front. If you don't have a Bible, you can come and get a Bible in front. But what I suggest is one person in the, in the group, you nominate that person and he reads the whole piece. It's just 12 verses. Okay, great. So... Again, it's an amazing, it's amazing vision that Zechariah had. So you, if you think your dreams are weird, they don't mean anything. Some of these dreams in Zechariah are really, and visions are really weird. And they are in the Bible. Some people say, oh, I'm all like praying tongues are weird. Maybe we shouldn't do that in church. But the whole Bible is full of this stuff. <laughs> like weird stuff. But you need to understand it in context and you need to hear from the Lord what is he actually saying through this so we're going to focus on on verse 6 and it says this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord Almighty so just give you a little context so Zechariah he was a prophet in uh, 500 there was actually 520 before Christ so the Israelites, they were in Babylon for, for a while, and then they were brought out of Babylon, and then they were allowed to, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So 
for their nation, the presence of God was really important. And by the presence of God, they understood the temple of God. So when Babylon, when they invaded Israel, they destroyed the temple that Solomon built. And now they're going back to Jerusalem. They're building, rebuilding the city, but they also want to rebuild the temple. So when they arrived there, the first thing they did is they laid the foundation. And Zerubbabel, the governor that we're reading about, he laid the foundation. But for 20 years, nothing happened. So maybe you can associate with that. Like you start off with Jesus, you build the foundation, and then for 20 years, nothing happens. And you become hopeless. And this is exactly where the nation of Israel was. For 20 years, they were hopeless. And then God sent these prophets, Haggai and also Zechariah, to, to come again and to stir hope in His people. So He gave... Um, Zechariah, nine visions, and we're just, we just starting with, the, I think it's the fifth vision in chapter 4, and we, we're looking at what can we take from this and apply to our lives, apply to our church, apply to our community, so that we can actually build this temple. So if you think of temple, we, it's not a physical job in, in, in our in our day and age to build the temple because we are the temple. The presence of God has moved from a physical, geographical area into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But also, it gives us principles on how to tackle life. Because what Zerubbabel was about to do is he was about to do a physical task. God was saying, hey, you guys, you need to build the temple, but you're not going to do it by power, you're not going to do it by might, but I want you to do it through my spirit. So, if we think of revival, we think of reformation, it is impossible for Armour Kennedy to bring about revival in George. It is impossible for, for Daniel to bring about reformation in George. It is impossible for any church or any organization, doesn't matter how great you are, to bring about reformation into the world if it's not driven by the Spirit. That's what God's saying. I was reading about, do you guys know who Jeff Bezos is? I don't know how do you pronounce his surname. But he is CEO of Amazon. He founded Amazon, probably the richest man, entrepreneur alive. And just recently, he filed for divorce. Richest man, but his marriage is in shambles. The world needs to change. Not even money will get you to a place where you are, where you have a significant impact in life. So he has four children. I'm just thinking, I don't know, what is his children thinking about Amazon? We love Amazon. We love the fact that he is a great entrepreneur and we can get principles from him. And that's still amazing. We need to pray for him and not judge him. But what is life all about? Did he do it by his own power? Did he do it by his own might? Why did he do it by the Spirit of God? But we want to raise up a generation. We want to build into you guys, build into myself, that we can say it is not by power, it's not by might, it's not by any other name out there, but by His Spirit. Okay, so there are two key things when we look at 
by God's Spirit that you need to look at it. You can, in a way, you can discern where you're at in this journey. Because a lot of us, we know that we want to we're gonna be successful, but we start in the flesh. And if you start in the flesh, you're going to end up in the flesh. You're going to mess up. And we want to start in the Spirit because we know where the Spirit of God is. There's going to be fruitfulness. There's going to be significance. There's going to be change. There's going to be impact. We want to bring about this revival that eventually equates to reformation in all of society. And the two things are, by His Spirit, it means with power. You'll understand that you have power in the Spirit. And that will translate into power and authority in your area of influence, in your sphere of influence. And the second one that's also very important is rest. You'll have rest. So if you look at Acts 1 verse 8, the Holy Spirit descended upon the 120 in the upper room. And before that, Jesus saying, you know what? Wait in Jerusalem and then you'll receive the Holy Spirit and you'll receive power. So that power is not only for you to fly across three rows of chairs when somebody prays for you. That is great. I love, I love those kind of things that God does. Or you fall down or you shake or, or you pray in tongues out loud. You can physically feel Him. But that power is also so that you can apply that into whatever assignment God has given you. Whether it's building a great business or building into the education system of George or or being just a good leader at school, or a good husband, or a good wife, whatever that might be. When you do it not with our might, not with our power, but by the Spirit, we will understand. You will feel that you have power, although we're just normal people. So that's the first thing. And the second one is, we will do it from out of rest. In Acts 3 verse 20, it speaks of, in the presence of God, times of refreshing will come. So we want, to pursue, we want to pursue revival. We want to pursue the kingdom to come in George. And we need to do it in the Spirit. And how, how you gauge that is, do I have power? Can I, do I feel that I have power in my, in my mind in the sense that I have victory over my thought life? When I engage with people, do I have authority over the problems, over the situation in my life? Or am I just a victim? If you're a victim, you don't have authority, you're not in the Spirit. But if you're in the Spirit, you have authority and you have power to do what God has called you to do. So that's the one area. Are you in the Spirit? The second one is, are you doing it from a, from a place of rest? I'm speaking to a lot of older people, and it's only January. They're already, they're already tired of this year. You are not in the flesh if you are already tired in the beginning of Jan. You're not in the spirit. You're in the flesh. And I'm, I'm saying, I know it's a harsh word, but it's the truth. If you're in the spirit, you'll have authority to change your environment, to change your thought life, to change your heart condition, and also you will receive the rest that God has for you, and you will do everything from, from a place of rest. So to come back to that, the vision that Zechariah had, we can just have that 
picture up there, Karina. This basically is the vision that he had. So there was this lampstand. There was a golden pot at the top where all the oil from the olive trees would go down into the lampstand, and they will be always be filled with oil so that they can, they can burn. So that, that lampstand over there is in rest because it's connected to the olive branch which bring about the olive anointing, the oil, and it, oil speaks of anointing, which means there was always, there's always a flow. There's always a flow of life. There's always a flow of power. There's always a, f- a flow of rest. So when we think of not by power, not by might, but by the Spirit, we must think of power and rest. Okay, last scripture for the night. And then we're going to do practical exercise. Matthew 8, 11, 28 to 13. So Jesus is saying, He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and, I w- and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every seminar about emotional health quotes this scripture. Why? Because it's true. Is that if you want rest for your soul, if you want peace, you want to be at peace with yourself, you want to be at peace with God, then you can take this and you can receive it from Jesus. But he is... Two things in this scripture that so many of us don't understand. The first one is there's something that we need to do. And it ties in with being in the Spirit. It says here, the first word in verse 28. Come to me. Come to me. And I've seen this so often. We are tired. What do we do? You go and lie on the couch. You play TV games. Watch series. Spend just time with whatever thing you think is going to fill you. And then at the end, your soul still feels restless. I love recreation. I love doing fun stuff. I'm not against that. But that's not going to give you permanent rest for your soul. It says, come to me. So it's saying, I'm over there, you over here. You need to come to me. You need to, what Luke was saying this evening, is you need to press in to come to me. And then you're in the Spirit. And then again, it's not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit. So you're in this place of rest. And, and with this place of rest, There's power. There's anointing to do whatever God has called you to do. Then you're going to see your life changed. And not only your life, but everybody around you's life. So that's the first one. The second one is, it says, Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. 
So a lot of times in church we focus on, on what Jesus can do for us. He can heal us. He can bring deliverance. He can save us. He can forgive us. But then often when you read Scripture, there's also a commandment or a place where we can be obedient to what God's saying. And, and both of these verses carry a, a commandment or an idea that we can be obedient to and we'll receive the promise. The one is come and the second one is take my yoke upon you. So what is Jesus' yoke? So there's a picture of a yoke on, on oxen to oxen. And it's dragging a cart. So the idea is that you can go with Jesus as, as those oxen and you can walk with him in his purpose. And you are, whatever he's dragging, he's dragging, he's carrying the load, but you're just walking with him. So come to me means to press into the Spirit. Say, God, whatever it takes, I want more of you. I'm going to fast today. I'm going to take, make a weekly fast or a monthly fast. I'm going to put time out in the morning to spend time with you because I want to get into the Spirit, because I know it's not by power, not by might, but by your Spirit that I'm going to change the world, and that I'm going to fulfill my purpose in life. And then taking up His yoke is saying, God, not my will, but your will. Yes, I have this great plan to change the world, but I want to step in with you, and I want to yoke with you. And what is His yoke? His yoke is always, it always has to do with people. It's a great commission, always discipling people. So a lot of us, especially all the people, they, they're so frustrated in life. And one of the big way, the reasons is they, they say, I have money, but I have nothing else. I don't have a relationship with my kids. I don't have a relationship with my, I don't even have friends. The only reason why I have friends is because I have money. And they long for significance. Why? Because they've not yoked with God. They've yoked with the world. And they've built this empire for them, whether it's in finance, with money, property, whatever it might be. But they've not yoked with God. And I talked to my dad. He's, he's 60 years old. And he's like, oh, I'm living the life of my dreams. I don't have everything in terms of material wealth. But I have everything in the Spirit because so many people relate to me in this relationship of carrying with Jesus the yoke. And I can see Jesus through me, by the grace of God, changing lives. That's the person you want to be at the end of your life. Not the only thing that you can take with you to heaven are people. Okay, so basically it's two simple things that you can be obedient to. The one is I'm going to come to you, Jesus. No matter what it takes, I'm going to come to you. I'm just going to come to you. I'm going to come to you on Sunday night in a worship service and I'm going to come to you in the mornings or in the afternoons whenever you do your quiet time and I'm going to press in. I'm, I don't care what my friends think. I don't care what the people close to me think. I'm going to come to you. 
because that's where I will find rest for my soul. And that's where I will find authority and power to do whatever you have called me. And then the second one is, God, where can I yoke with you? How can I play a role in your kingdom? And there's so many amazing opportunities for you, whether it's in, in this church or in, in ministries like Ina and Walter Richards over there, they're helping people that they don't have jobs to, to have the right mindsets and eventually find jobs and they're discipling people in the process and changing world. You just, you yoke with them. Say, hey God, I'm just yoking with you. I want to see lives change. At the end of my life, I want to, th- I want to see those faces. Yes, I prayed for that guy. The guy never listened. I hope I see him in heaven one day. But I, I prayed for him and I loved him. And those are, those are the people that will eventually, that will remind you, yeah, you yoked with God. You didn't yoke with the world. You yoked with God. Amen. Great. So we're going we're gonna to call out to God for this, for the Spirit of God and for a desire actually to come to Jesus and to yoke with Him. That nothing, we must be so filled with God, and that's what revival does. You don't care whether it's 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning. You just want to stay there. Because you don't think rationally in worldly terms anymore. You just think, I need to be with Jesus. And He is right here now. So we're going to call out and we say, Holy Spirit, flood my heart. Holy Spirit, I desire the authority that you have placed in me through the Spirit, but I don't see it manifesting, but I want it. I don't feel the rest. I don't feel at peace with myself. I don't know who I am, but I want it. Amen. Okay, let's stand. Can the band come up?